Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. Happy Father's Day. Hope you've got good plans, sitting in the sunshine. It's going to be good. It's a good day for Father's Day. And uh, I didn't know until this week that Father's Day is uh, celebrated simultaneously across 70 different nations across the world on the same day, from kind of Argentina to South Africa. Um, apparently in America, the top two gifts on Father's Day, if you're a father, are um, a date to go to dinner or new clothes. In the United Kingdom, the top two gifts, if you're a father, are chocolate or alcohol. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions from that. What that says about the average British father, I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's a great day. I love being a dad. I've got two kids. And being a, being a dad is, you know, uh, alongside marrying my wife, greatest privilege of my life. Greatest privilege of my life. Love being a dad. Incredible blessing. And our plan tonight is my kids are going to cook me a three-course meal. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty nice. Looking forward to that. And uh, then we're going to watch home movies together. That's the plan this evening. So we are, back in the day, we kind of had camcorders. I don't know, any, some of you old people will remember those. Camcorders where you put cassette tapes in the camcorder. You remember those? We used to have those, and just this last week, we got them kind of transferred and burnt onto DVDs so we can kind of watch them uh, without the tapes breaking. And so we're going to watch eight hours of home movies tonight. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be awesome. Um, the, the only thing about watching them is you realize how young I was when I had children. I was 23 years old when I had my first child. I, it really shouldn't have been legal. Um, I... <laughs> You know, uh, I was barely old enough to drive, let alone have a baby. I was so young, had, had a massive white man's afro, and, uh, you know, it was uh, fun days. I didn't really know what I was doing, but praise the Lord, he was kind. So, you know, and being a dad is a privilege, isn't it? But it's also a challenge. Um, and here are just some photos just to highlight some of the challenges of, of kind of fathering. These are sometimes the things that you encounter as a dad. Here's another one. I mean, that is just... Take it off, Sarah said. Take it off. I mean, here's another one. There's your favorite magazines down the loo. Love that one. Next one. <laughs> Never leave your dog alone with your child. Now, the scariest moment when you're a dad is when your children go silent. Like, when your children are silent, anything could be happening. They're probably drawing on the dog or on the living room floor. And then here's my favorite one. Yeah. It took some of you a while to get on what was going on there. Yeah, that is not a coloring pen. That is a screwdriver. Tell you what, though, that dad is never going to forget that message, is he? Every time he goes to a car, he's going to remember how loved he actually is. I love that. It's brilliant. You know, and this, this kind of subject of fathering is a kind of a massive deal, isn't it? And particularly in our culture where fathering right now is somewhat under threat. I mean, some people uh, who are uh, in the field of kind of social study would say that right now in the United Kingdom and in Europe, there is a pandemic of fatherlessness across our nations. It's massively, massively under, under threat. Um, the average inmate in prison, 80% of inmates had no father figure at home. Right now, there, in our nation, there are things that are called father deserts, literally whole communities where the majority of people have never known what it is to have a father at home. You know, the average, now the number of teenagers having smartphones outnumbers the number of teenagers who've got a dad at home. In our nation right now, there is a pandemic of fatherlessness. This is a massive, massive issue in our culture, and 
you know, this morning, we'll be coming in with a whole range of experiences and stories about fatherhood. For some of us, our, our fathers are alive. For some of us, they aren't. For some of us, our, our experiences of fathering are very positive. Some of our experiences are very negative. We've got a multitude of experiences about fathering. And when it comes to reading what Jesus said about fathering, he has good news. And the good news is this, is that fathering can be restored by meeting our heavenly father. And that irrespective of what our story is here today, you have a perfect heavenly father. And it's interesting in the scriptures, the, the Bible's divided into Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is really the story before Christ came. And in the Old Testament, God is only referred to as father 15 times in all of the Old Testament. But when it comes to the New Testament, as Jesus begins to declare the message of the kingdom and the good news, Father is used to refer to God 165 times in the first four Gospels alone. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the time, Jesus connects God as our Father. And so many people have said through the years that the primary message of Jesus was the fatherhood of God. Us connecting to who God is as our Father. And so we're going to look at one of those occasions where Jesus began to talk about the fatherhood of God. It's in John chapter 8. If you haven't got a Bible, the verses will come up behind me. And the context for this particular story that we're reading is that Jesus' fame was massively spreading around Israel. He was the penniless preacher from Nazareth, but suddenly whole villages, whole towns are starting to empty to go and hear this Jesus preach because no one has ever heard a man preach like Jesus because he preaches as a man with authority. The sick are getting healed. The blind are starting to see. Miracles are starting to break out. Crazy things are starting to happen in Israel. And so people are starting to gather around Jesus, whole crowds. And in John chapter 8, we have a crowd that is gathering around Jesus. And as he talks in this passage, Jesus is particularly talking to the religious leaders who are starting to get wind of something happening in the nation. And of course, if you're religious, you like to have a nice box to classify people in. Amen? You don't need to say amen. Okay? If you're religious, you like to know where people fit. Who are you? Where did you come from? What's your authority? What's the story? I'd like to know who you are and find a box to put you in. And so in this particular occasion, the religious leaders are gathering around Jesus, trying to work out what's going on, who he is. And so this is where we pick up the story in verse 19 of John chapter 8. This is what they say to Jesus. Where is your father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Now, this is an interesting conversation because essentially the religious leaders are asking Jesus, who are you and where did you come from? Who's your father? Where's your father? Because in Jewish culture, to understand how you were to relate to someone, you first needed to understand what their lineage was. Who, whose descendant were they? What family line were they of? You know, how much authority should I put on your word? Who's your father? And that's why, of course, your Bible has genealogies. How many of you love reading the genealogies in the Bible? How many of you use them as a sleep aid at night? You know, we, we read the genealogies. You know, Frank was the son of Fred, and Fred was the son of Herbert, and Herbert, you know, so on and so on and so forth. And to us, that feels fairly meaningless. But actually, in Jewish culture, that was massively important. 
Because if I understand who your father is, I know who you are. It's a question of identity. It's a question of authority. Who's your father? Where's your father? Now, the interesting thing about this question is that many of the religious leaders thought they already knew the answer to this question. Because there were already rumors in Israel about where Jesus' father was. Because before Jesus was even born, rumors were spreading in his community that he was an illegitimate son. That he was born out of wedlock. That he was the adopted son of a penniless carpenter from Nazareth of all places. Nazareth, this northern backwater in Israel where nothing good came from. And so they knew the rumors. You know, not many of them believed in the immaculate conception and the virgin birth. I can tell you that right now. And so actually when they're saying, where is your father? It wasn't so much as inquisitive as it was an accusation. Where's your father? What kind of authority have you got? You've got no authority. You've got no lineage. You've got no, no history to be proud of. They thought they knew what they were asking him. But Jesus stunningly turns this encounter around. And he says, actually, if you knew me, you'd know who my father is. If you knew me, you'd know who my father is. And essentially he's saying this, my authority did not come from an earthly heritage. It comes from a heavenly one. My authority comes because I and the Father are one. And that's what Jesus says elsewhere in John's gospel. Plainly, he says, I and the Father are one. Or he says to Philip in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God the Father is like, you see the Father through the Son. Hebrews puts it this way, that Jesus, the Son, is the exact representation of God's being. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the mirror image of what the Father looks like. You know, sometimes when they've had a new baby, they show you their new baby. And people sometimes say, oh, he really looks like you. Now, I've got to be honest at this point, I can never see that. <laughs> One baby looks much like, much like the next baby to me. You know, chubby cheeks, they've got arms, they've got legs, they've got eyes, they're a baby. You know, and uh, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, it really, really looks like you. In the case of Jesus, that's true. When you look at Jesus, he looks exactly like the Father. He's the mirror image. My, uh, my dad sent me a text this week, and uh, he's married to my mum. She's called Liz, and he's called John. And uh, they were introduced at a conference as Phil and Liz Wilthew. Not once, but twice as he came onto the stage. Phil and Liz Wilthy, and he kind of had to correct them. But actually, there's, there's a picture in that for us. Whether it's Phil, whether it's John, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the Father, the Father and Jesus are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why did Jesus hate injustice? Because the Father hates injustice. Why did Jesus spread hope wherever he went? Because that's what the Father is like. Why did Jesus preach a message of sacrificial love? Because he's the mirror image of what your heavenly Father is like. And so he's, listen, you want to understand him, you've got to know me. That's why Jesus said, actually, the only way to God is through me. Because I and the Father are one. It's the first thing he says. And, of course, the religious leaders don't really understand what he's saying. So they try and ask the same question from a different angle. Here's what they say in verse 25. Who are you? <laughs> they demanded. Firstly, who's your father? Where's your father? Secondly, who are you? Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. 
For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. Again, Jesus answers their question, who are you, by talking about the father. And the first thing he says to reveal the father is this. I have much to say that could condemn you, but I won't. Because I only hear and I only say what is coming from my father's lips. What does that tell us? What tells us this. Jesus had a whole bunch of ammunition at his disposal to say, you guys are being a complete bunch of numpties. I mean, you guys are missing the plot. You cannot see what is right in front of you. You are being a bunch of idiots. He could have gone in that direction. He's like, I could condemn you, but I won't. Because I only do what I hear my father saying. What does that tell you about the father? That the language of heaven is not condemnation. The language of heaven is not condemnation. That's what the father is like. Jesus here is trying to reshape our filters about what the Father looks like. And he's saying, actually, the language of my Father is not condemnation. That's not who he is. Because the reality is for you and I, we always come to the Father and our relationship with God through the earthly filters of our earthly experience. Martin Luther, the great reformer, who had such great revelation on Scripture, once said this, I have difficulty in praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say, Our Father... I think of my own father, who is hard, unyielding, and relentless, and I cannot but help think of God that way. It's a whole bunch of filters that you and I bring to our understanding of who God is. And Jesus here is trying to recast and paint a new filter through which we see the Father. My Father does not condemn, therefore neither do I. That is not his language. Do you understand that there is a great difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation will draw a boundary to punish you. Conviction draws a boundary to promote you. I'm going to say that again because that was excellent. An excellent piece of revelation. Condemnation draws boundaries on you to say, Ha-ha, I've caught you, and so now I can punish you. How many of us grew up in that kind of a family? Jesus is saying, actually, that's not the way my father operates. He doesn't draw boundaries to catch you out. He draws boundaries to promote you, to say, come on in, because I want you to fly in who who I've made you to be. That's the way conviction works. You know, condemnation uses shame to control you, but conviction uses love to empower you. Jesus, you see what he's doing here. He's recasting our understanding of how the Father operates, what the Father is like. Condemnation says, you are something wrong. Conviction says, you're too good to live like this. If you have had an experience with a religious culture, some of you have come here maybe from different kind of church experiences or religious cultures. So often what religion says is, you are something wrong. You better buck up your ideas or you're not in the club. That is religion. Jesus is saying, my father is not religious. He's not about condemnation. Actually, he says, live who you were really made to be. It's different. It's a whole different way of seeing the world. You know, I remember my son, Sam, when he was much younger, many years ago, he was traveling in a car with his, his buddy, and they were in a football team together. And 
I remember Sam coming home kind of just upset by what he witnessed in the car, an encounter between his friend and his friend's father who was driving them to the football match. And pretty much all the way to the football match, this friend of my son's, his dad was saying to his son, I don't know why you bother playing football. You're rubbish. You're useless at football. You always will be. I don't know why you bother. You're probably going to make a mistake. I mean, really, I don't know why you do it. I remember once seeing this kid score an own goal in a football match. And as soon as he scored it, he, he crumpled on the ground like he'd been shot with a gun. And he just wept his little heart out. He was utterly inconsolable. Because in his head, he was thinking, my actions have just proved what my father has already told me. I'm useless. How many of you understand that that is the filter of condemnation? And that's why if you live with that filter, you will often try and work hard for his approval because you think that your approval comes from performance, not from identity. <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember my dad once drawing a boundary on me. I remember I was probably 15 or 16 at the time and I was doing exams and I was kind of a typical teenager. I kind of liked seeing my mates. I was socializing all the time. And that particular season, I was out a lot doing all sorts of stuff. I remember after dinner one night, my dad stopping me in the corridor as I was about to go out again. And he's like, Phil, he said, you've got exams coming up. He said, God gave you a great brain. He said, you know what? If you don't work hard, you're not going to achieve the things that God has for you. He said, I, I want to encourage you to work hard. You're going out too much. You need to focus on your studies because this is who God's made you to be. Now, I remember at the time being really annoyed because <laughs> that's what you are when you're a teenager and you hear that kind of advice. It's, it's, it's annoying. But actually, do you understand that God prunes you so that you can become even more fruitful? <laughs> the goal of God's pruning in our life is so that you can survive the weight of his blessings when they pour out on you. So Jesus is recasting our understanding of what the Father looks like. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that is flipping good news? There is no condemnation. Your Father draws boundaries to promote you. Thirdly, the conversation goes on. And remember, Jesus is still talking about the Father. He's still answering this question. Who are you and where's your Father? So Jesus said, when you have seen, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases Him. And then many who heard Him say these things believed in Him. And this is the next revelation of how we understand what our heavenly father is like. Jesus says, when you see the son of man lifted up on the cross, then you'll understand that I am he. You will get a revelation of what your father is like when you see me hanging on the cross. The cross is the ultimate statement about the fathering of God towards you, about your value, about who he is. How many of you know that your emotions and feelings change all the time? Just wave at me if your emotions are kind of, Wee! some of you are completely stable, and that's amazing. I would love you to pray for me after this meeting. 
You know, our, our emotions go like that. And so what happens when you base your understanding about the love of God on your emotion is that you could very easily think, I am feeling rubbish right now, therefore God doesn't love me very much. Sometimes people will come and say, I'd just like you to pray for me because I just don't feel like God loves me very much. Get over it. Your feelings are not that important. <laughs> Ultimately, your sense of value in your in your, uh, your being loved by God comes not from your emotion, as important as those are, but it comes from the cross. It comes from your understanding that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. You have the ultimate picture of the ultimate Father's love every single time you remember the cross and you remember the empty tomb. The gospel is good news that you are loved, you are loved, you are loved in every single season of your life. Whether you feel lousy, whether you feel great, whether things are going brilliantly, whether they're going badly, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved because God has already demonstrated his love for you. On the cross, on the cross, it's the ultimate statement of your value. As we've said many times, you determine the value of something by how much someone is willing to pay for it. So how much do you think you're worth? How much do you think you're worth? The cross is the demonstration of his love. I had this great story, read it on the BBC website this last week, about a lady who 30 years ago brought a, what she thought was a cheap party ring from a car boot sale. And she bought it for £10 in a West London car boot sale 30 years ago. And she said she thought it was like a cheap piece of kind of fashion jewellery. And so she used to kind of wear it around town and kind of wear it to events. And she just thought it was, really wasn't worth anything. And then she decided to get it valued at Sotheby's recently. And it was sold at auction for £656,000. At auction. It turns out that what she thought was a cheap party ring was actually a 26 carat diamond uh, from the 19th century. I mean, it was like incredibly, incredibly rare. There's only a few of them in the whole world. And she'd been wearing it like a cheap party ring for 30 years, not knowing. And here's the fascinating thing. Apparently, the owner said this. She never thought it was of any value because it was, it was housed in a kind of dirty, kind of rusty, old-looking mounting. And she said, I looked at the mounting, and I thought, this just can't be of any value at all because it's housed in this kind of dirty, grimy-looking thing. She said, I never had any idea it had any intrinsic value. It's amazing. And you know, for some of us, you still look at yourself like the cheap party ring. You don't understand your true value. You understand your value when you look at the cross. Because the Father gave his only son. His only son. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you're going to realize what kind of a diamond you are. It's beautiful. And then last of all, verse 31. Again, remember Jesus is answering this question. Who's the Father and who are you? Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So therefore, if the son sets you free, you are truly free. 
I love that. I mean, this is one of the most, you know, quoted verses that Jesus ever said. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I want you to notice the kind of freedom that Jesus is actually talking about. He's talking about freedom from something, but also freedom into something. In the culture of Jesus' day, they were very, very aware of the concept of slavery. In the Roman Empire, up to a third of the population were slaves. A third. So just imagine in our nation, you know, there's at least 20 million people who are slaves. That's, that's who they are. Add on top of that, in the Jewish Empire, another third of the population had been slaves, but had also been freed. And a slave in Jesus' day had no rights. They, they had no permanent access to family. They were literally the possession of their masters. You know, whether it was a, you know, a, a saucepan or a bank account or a slave, it was an object. You were an object. You were part of a household, but you were owned by somebody else. And there was no sense of permanence. And therefore, your security depended on how hard you worked, how well you performed, so that you stayed in. Masters literally could kill a slave on a whim if they were displeased with your performance. And in that context, Jesus says, listen, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. But I am a son, I'm part of a permanent family. And so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus is saying this, listen, I've come to free you from slavery to sin, but not just that, I've come to bring you into permanent family. (laughs) Permanent family. The freedom that Jesus is talking about here is family, because family was God's idea. Family originates in the Godhead. It originates in who God is. You see, God hates sin because it breaks family. God hates sin because it breaks family, and that is why the cross was necessary. Do you understand that the highest... And the the, the highest blessing of the gospel is your adoption into God's family. And that the cross was necessary so that God could deal with sin and get it out of the way and get you back into his permanent family. That's why the cross was necessary. And that's why we do a Father's Heart Conference every single year because adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. Which means that if you are a Christian, you are now a son, a daughter, an heir. You are part of the Father's household forever and ever and ever and ever. And he has crowned you with an everlasting love which will never fade, will never perish. And I'll tell you what, even if you walked out this door and you sinned for the rest of your life and you turned your back on Jesus, you would still die in the family, not outside of it. Because your membership of the family of God was not about your works. It was about Jesus. And it's by grace. You are in by grace. She said, listen, I've come. If I set you free, you really are free. Sin is no longer your master, able to kill you at a moment's notice. You are now a permanent son, a permanent daughter. You have permanence and therefore you have freedom. And I tell you what, that is why being part of a church family is so important. Because with all the church's imperfections and all the things that might irritate you and all the things that are not yet right as they should be, I tell you what, you have been brought into a family. And there is no freedom outside of family. You cannot be a Christian on a desert island. I mean, you probably can be, literally. I'm talking metaphorically. You need to be part of a family. I tell you, you've got no opportunity to forgive unless you're in family. You've got no opportunity to love someone else sacrificially unless you're in family. 
You've got no opportunity to give generously unless you're in family. You've got no opportunity to show hospitality unless you're in family. You've got no opportunity to speak the truth in love to one another unless you're in family. All these one another's of scriptures happen in the context of permanent family, the household of God. J.I. Packer says this. He said, what is a Christian? He said, the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as his father. And if you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and a whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all because adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. Wow. You know, behind the legality of justification, there was the joy of adoption. God punished sin in Christ so that he could have you in his family. And that's the story of the gospel. That's grace. I'm preaching myself happy. This is good. Why don't we stand together and let's respond. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment to come to Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Lord. So on the way in, in the cars, just listening to this worship song, and the words of this song just say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Never let my heart forget. I am blessed. I've been carried by your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that we've been carried by your faithfulness. Thank you that we can say we're blessed. And God, no matter what our story is in this room this morning, God, whether we're grieving the loss of a father, Lord, whether we find fathering a challenge or a joy, whether we have positive or negative experience of our fathering, God, I thank you we can say we're blessed because we have a heavenly father who's perfect in all of his ways. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've introduced us to a Father who's loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that we can say you loved us so much, Father, that you gave your one and only Son. Thank you that when we've seen the Son of Man lifted on a cross, we realize truly how much we're worth and how much you paid. Wow. Thank you that you're the Father we've all been waiting for. You're the Father we've all been waiting for. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just thank Him right now that He is the Heavenly Father that you have always been waiting for. Thank you. Say, Father, I am blessed. I am blessed because I am your child. I'm adopted into your family. Even if I fall down, I fall inside the family boundary. Wow. Thank you that you draw boundaries to promote me, not to punish me. Thank you that the language of heaven is love and truth and mercy and faithfulness and kindness. Wow. Thank you, Father. Even when I've been a religious numpty, you still don't say words to condemn me. You say words to convict me. Thank you, Father. It's the kind of father that you are. Wow. 
carried by your faithfulness. Carried by your faithfulness. Father, just pray for a revelation of the Father's heart in this room right now. Pray for those of us that have never known fathering like this. Pray for those of us that are looking through that Martin Luther filter of fathers that have been hard and unrelenting and unresponsive. Father, come and break that filter. Let us see through the Jesus filter. You're a father who loves. You're a father who came for us. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Come and bring a revelation. Father, pray for, pray for daughters here who've never been loved like that by a heavenly father, by an earthly father. Father, I pray for a revelation of our heavenly father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. And Joe, for some of us, even as I talked about there being father deserts in this nation, some of you, there was a cry in your heart. Something's got to change in our nation. Something has got to change. For some of you, immediately you thought, that is wrong. Something's got to change in our nation. We've got to put fatherlessness out of business in this nation. Somehow we've got to put fathering back on the map in this nation. If you felt like that, as I talked about that earlier, I tell you, that is the Holy Spirit saying that you are part of the answer, my friend. So if you felt like that, I just want you just to raise both hands to the Lord, just where you are. If you just felt that tug in your heart, that is not right. That is not meant to be the story of kids in our nation. That's not meant to be their story. Father, I just pray right across this room for those whose hands are raised right now. Do you know, you can respond to this if you're a lady as well. You can have that tug in your heart. That is wrong. That's not right. God, I just pray right across this room in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would be part of the answer for fatherlessness in this nation. We'd be part of the solution. Jesus, we just say, Lord, do something different for this next generation. Lord, we pray for our children and for our teenagers to grow up with a different narrative, with a different story. Father, we just say, we refuse to throw rocks from afar. We want to be part of the answer. And so, God, I just pray, let your anointing rest on men in this room. Ollie, the Holy Spirit of God is right on you right now. The Father says he's put you in education to be part of the answer to fatherlessness in this nation. God says you are part of the answer, my friend. You're part of the answer. And I tell you, the kingdom is going to come in your classroom as you start to teach in September. The kingdom is going to come because you're going to become a father. You're going to become a father to children who are looking for a father. Thank you, Jesus. Theo, I just feel like God's saying, your fathering is not done, my friend. Your fathering is not done. I can just see you starting to draw boundaries to promote people in your life. Drawing boundaries to promote fathers. So God, I just pray, let your anointing come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. James Turner, Spirit of God is on you right now. And just see God just releasing fresh strategies for the YMCA that there is something coming in terms of a, 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 a greater profile in national influence in the whole area of fathering. And he's going to start to release to you and others around you strategies for tackling fatherlessness in a new way. I feel like it's going to start to get traction. And the traction is going to be about open doors. It's going to be about funding. It's going to be about opportunities. And it's going to be about innovative, creative thinking. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Lord, we just thank you on this Father's Day that we can celebrate every one of us. Every single one of us. And you know, maybe you've come in today and maybe you'd say, I, I don't yet really know that I am a follower of Jesus. I don't know God as my Father. And just as every eye is closed across this room, I want to give you just a quick moment to respond. And I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing other than put up your hand in a moment. Because we want to partner with what God is doing in this room. But if you're here and you would say, I'm not yet really a follower of Jesus, but I want to know this God's in the way that you've been talking about today. And you want to know him for the first time. I'd just love you just to raise your hand high in the air just so that I can see it, just so I know where God's working in this room. If you want to respond to him for the very first time, don't want to move on today without giving you the personal opportunity to respond to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, just bless what you're doing in this room. Lord, we thank you for the celebration that's happening in heaven right now over this room and all that you're doing. So we love you, Father. Just wait on the Lord for a minute. I just feel there's some more he wants to do. feel like God wants to release a sense of mutual celebration between children and parents and I just felt like God wants to uh, I think within the kind of rough and tumble of growing up in a home you can get some kind of damage you know and I feel like God wants us to have more than that more than that I feel like there's a sense of really genuinely you know uh, my relationship with my father was uh, mixed at best but we processed a lot of stuff and so that by the time he passed away I, uh, his when I gave his eulogy I was really able to celebrate who he was and had worked through it and I just feel like God wants us to ask him for that for us so if you feel like that's for you you feel like I feel like there's more I'm hungry for more in my relationship with my earthly father or in my relationship with my children a sense of mutual celebration cheering on just why don't you just raise your hands real high and I just want to pray for that I just feel if you feel like there's there's more I feel like I'm hungry for more I feel like yep that's good and it's okay but I just feel like there's more and just raise your hand I just feel I just pray for that I pray for a sense of mutual I've never even used that phrase before but mutual celebration a mutual applause, a mutual, I just pray God, release something of the applause of heaven that we can really celebrate and enjoy our families, not just kind of bear bear it, grin and bear it, or even just kind of, oh, it's okay, but we just pray for something more than that. We pray for an expressiveness, an exuberance. We pray, God, that we'd be able to see the things that we don't see at the moment and celebrate them, not just so focused on the things that we could change or could be better, but we just pray for that. And we ask you, for everyone who's responded, we pray, let there be joy and a celebration that goes beyond anything we've known before. 
And we thank you that that's what you've got for us. Thank you that what the, the Son and the Father, what you had with your Father, what for all eternity was a sense of celebration together. You, you celebrated one another, and we see that right the way through the Bible. We pray for that for us now in Jesus' name, that sense of mutual celebration. And Lord, let, let it begin today, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let joy just bubble up in our hearts now as we just enjoy. Some of you, I just even as you're praying, perhaps you didn't put a hand up, but just I think that some of the kind of dross that's gathered on your soul in that relationship, just can, let Holy Spirit just come and begin to wash that away. Let all those insignificant things, you know, when, when you're on your deathbed, I, th- I imagine those things just disappear. <laughs> let all those bitty irritants of life just disappear and you just feel a sense of gratitude. And I just pray that you would release that way before we die, Lord, that we would have it now in Jesus' name. Amen.